should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Monday. I know you are so excited to hear my voice because it's fresh. <laughs> it's not a... Uh, Rerun show. Thank you so much. And again, I apologize and I'm sorry that uh, we've had to rerun shows. Um, I've had a death in my family, so I was gone for a couple weeks. I was a Buddhist nun. So if any of you want to ever ask me what that was all about, you can head to michellemeow.com to let me know. Our producer, Fong, is in studio. Hello, Fong. Hello, Michelle. Did you have a good weekend? Oh my gosh, it was so crazy. Uh oh. You had a crazy weekend? That's new. Usually you stroll in and I you're, you're still waking up. and uh, uh, Well, I'm still waking, waking up right now, folks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a crazy weekend. Some of my friends were like, hey, let's let's go to the bar. And then somehow I went to becoming a pub dancing kind of thing. You went out. Yes, I did. That's good. Which is hence the voice, you know. So <laughs> too much. You, 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 you got crazy. Did you meet somebody? Nah, it's cool. Usually I'm there just to have a good time with my friends and stuff. I'm glad you I'm glad you uh, had a good time. Not that when you go out, you need to meet somebody. You right. Know, just, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just my voice is a little weird, but yeah. Well, Fong, it's time that uh, we start asking the very, 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 you know, serious and honest questions such Uh-oh. as, okay, <laughs> is it going to be Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton? I do feel the burn. You feel the burn. <laughs> yes. You do. Yes. So this is important to me because, you know, you're a millennial, you mm-hmm. know, you're under 30 years old. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand the trend or the pulse and where we're going to go, you know, with the mm-hmm. new progressive young voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of your friends chiming in on whether they're feeling the burn or Hillary Clinton? Um, my friends group, they're really interesting in the sense that they can. They try to see things from both sides, and they look for long-term, you know, um, goals and stuff. Oh, you mean young voters are can be educated voters? They're very educated. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, they're very educated. They actually fact-checked all these candidates. They look at the things that they um, invest in. They look at the their politics and their history. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. It's well, just difficult, and, and it's a lot of work. Yeah. That is great. That is super cool to hear so if you're out there and you'd like to chime in let us know if you're feeling the burn or you'll be voting for hillary head to michellemeow.com to let us know let's get today's program started today's show is brought to you by pacific fertility center when life needs a little encouragement pacific fertility center will be right by your side visit pacificfertilitycenter.com so, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about uh, the stereotypes and generalizations, and I think the LGBTQ community is, is uh, you know, no stranger to that. I think we get a lot of different types of stereotypes, and oftentimes, unfortunately, it is hurtful. And then there's that big, scary monster, sometimes in the closet, called stigma. And, uh, you know, it's a, it feel like the different uh, identities present in our community uh, continue to to be a part of, of stigma or at least negatively reported. So I'm very excited to have our next guest who does a lot of healing around stigma. He's an author, a poet, and LGBTQ activist. And for the past three years, he served on the board of directors of the Bisexual Resource Center. So let's welcome Kevin Hogan to the program. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us. Wow, I am so thrilled to be here, and what an introduction. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> no problem. I, I, every guest here on the program does extremely important work, and so they deserve the, the high praise and the big platform. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about healing stigma. I want to start there just because, sure. um, you know, when we do some of these reporting on, on stigma and uh, negative reporting in the media, it's always so easy to go to the bad part. But, but there are people out there such as yourself who are doing a positive thing about stigma in our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm really glad that one of us got out this weekend. So, long <laughs> hats off to you. I'm really happy that you had a good time. But I was, I was actually in almost and up most of the weekend. So I'm going to do this. You guys are the first ones to hear about this. I know it sounds like an ad, but this is really a great place to start. If people are interested, go to www.healingstigma.com. And the whole website has just been redone. So you guys are the first ones to hear about that. Wow. Yes, the, the whole thing has just been redone. So everything from my writing to what's going on and, you know, from basically from individuals who've been victimized to corporations looking to really make a dis- difference. Anyone who's looking to learn more or interrupt this horrible thing called stigma across so many different platforms, that's what I'm trying to do. Awesome. Survivor. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the new uh, the new website. I'm looking at it yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, we, I th- we wanted to get it done before this show, so you guys, <laughs> you guys are the reason. So there you go. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So here's the thing. You know, um, even within our own community, there is stigma. There's there's stigma. There's room for stigma, like in in all communities, right? But I do know, you know, for uh, for sure that uh, you know the bisexual community or or the emerge I call emerging identities, right? The identities that exist outside right. lesbian and gay um, that people are starting to understand. I feel you know are are kind of at the forefront of stigma. Um, let's right. let's talk about that. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I. I I'm, I'm always, now because of this, I encourage people, you know, write to me and enter the conversation. That's the great thing. There's so many ways to enter the conversation. You know, I actually have a, a peer-to-peer secret group that's, you know, just for people who've been stigmatized that need a, a, a place to get away from it all. But yet, the, you know, the whole online thing is helping. So it's a double-edged sword. You know, the Internet can both stigmatize and it can also help you if you find your community. Um, but I think one of the things when you say that that comes to my mind is uh, J.C. was one of the people I interviewed for the most recent uh, Huffington Post piece that I did. Uh, I spoke to some bisexual uh, identified folks who are also polyamorous because I find whenever I hear something that is being stigmatized or people have a, you know, hmm, I don't know, I want to go and talk to people. I want to hear from myself. Um, and so J.C. said something interesting. He says, look, anyone really who isn't lifelong monogamous sometimes now will suffer some type of stigma about their relationship. So again, if it doesn't fit this type of predetermined, you know, sometimes very narrow margin, the people who find themselves outside of that, if suddenly, let's say, outed in some way, can be quite, you know, it's devastating. It really is. Right, 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 right. And and, and those emerging folks you're talking about, they understand it very, very, very well. And oftentimes it's some of the most... Um, I like it. You know, they're the ones that do the fact-checking as well. I mean, this Internet thing is also the great democratizer, hopefully. We've got to use it right or it's going to use us badly. Absolutely. You mentioned your Huffington Post article, and I should also put in there, I mean, when you did this interview, you asked some incredible uh, questions and questions that seem to be the... Um I don't want to say normal because it's not normal. It's it's very not nor- <laughs> normal to, to ask these types of questions, but they are questions that a lot of bi or polyamorous people get, such as, you know, you're you're a sex addict or or these thoughts that right. you can't sustain an enduring loving relationship, um, right. and that has that has a lot to do with uh, you know society and how we we think about relationships, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, that's that whole group thing. Um, you know, I find it for the individuals, it's so many different things here. You've got uh, Colleen, who had actually, for her, Polly becomes a way after a very long monogamous relationship that went very badly. It becomes a way for her to find two stable relationships that balance her out. So she, she gets love in her life, gives love in her life, and recovers from what other people could find just a totally, you know, a debilitating way, never being able to love again. You've got, you know, again, to bring up Anne, you've got at the end of the article, I find a really eloquent way of saying she, she finds her way to her own emotions by having these, you know, she's in tune with more than one out of totally free choice, not default, not because that's just the one person I'm with. And, uh, you know, she's very, very honest and raw about it, but that's the way she finds this emotional reality with these relationships. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole gamut of it, for me, by talking to these people and then getting a chance to write about it, it's, it's really wonderful. You know, that's, again, having that conversation, getting it out there, 
challenging what would otherwise be, you know, a, a stigma even within some of these communities. I mean, some of these folks said, you know, I, uh, I think it's JC said, is, you know, I'm, I'm poly, but I'm not necessarily out as poly to the bi community. Wow, right. You know, I, so. I, here, here's a here's another thought I had for you, Kevin. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think the 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 biggest opportunity for for you and what you do healing stigma, I, I think um, you would have a great opportunity with Republicans and conservatives. Uh, I mean, every time they stray outside, stray quote unquote outside their relationship. Right. Um, and have other partners and things like that, <laughs> you know, it becomes like the next big scandal. Uh, I wonder, though, you know, if we were, if they were able to just accept that, um, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe they could be bi, maybe they could be poly. It, 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 do you think that <laughs> that could revolutionize the uh, conservative community, in my, in my opinion? Well, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. You know, it's, <laughs> my backstory is really hair-raising, so I encourage people to take a look at that. I'm a high-profile stigma survivor. So, you know, it's, it's the idea that uh, I, I was, you know, by, by many, many folks, uh, you know, straight as an arrow, married teacher for many, many years, and then a uh, news crew follows me home and suddenly publishes on the evening news that I had done adult gay porn in my past. And then to one and a half million viewers, I'm the porn star teacher, all hmm. in one news cycle. Wow. <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about in the sense that my sexuality, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that go on there, and I'm not going to make this about me. What I'm saying is I'm very in tune with what goes on now, both in a news cycle, um, let's say, and uh, my own writing after, you know, I just say this, one of, my, one of my students showed up for one of my, from 20 years ago, showed up at one of my poetry readings just recently and said, oh, I totally get it. She was always really smart. She comes up, she goes, she kind of cocks her head to one side and she goes, I totally get it. She goes, you just have the most important lesson to teach in your classrooms, the world, and we need you. And she gave me a big hug. I totally get it. You know, and she just goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, well, this is like CPR or more, it's more like life-saving, uh, like a, a YMCA. I've figured out from what I've gone through how to help someone who's drowning in the deep end. You might love someone and you might know how to swim, but if you don't know how to get over there and put them in a cross-chest carry and get them to safety, you might drown with them. And a lot of good people, when this happened to me, kind of gave me a big hug, but I was drowning and it only gave more weight on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, so I, should, I, think, I, I yeah. was just going to say I should put it out there right now. Um, you know, for those of you, I, I have been uh, involved in a, a, a porn video. It, well, I call it a sex education video. So, um, right. but, but, but Kevin, I, I might need your help later if, 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 sure. uh, if people decide that it, it's a bad thing. Although I think it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a great thing. It was educational. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always here for you, dear. I'm all, I like what you do. Like, here's the other thing. I just say this. I went to the White House the first time, invited guests. Not, not just you know, showing up. I was there as an invited guest as part of a bisexual leaders roundtable and, and very honored to the other leaders and everyone who went there. But this was invited as part of the Obama administration the first time and been back since. But I introduced myself to a whole group of very, very, a mixed group of people who were there to hear what this, you know, none of their records lined up with what the bisexual groups are. And they, you know, trying to figure out who this group is. And so they figured to get the leaders in the room the first time. Things totally off the record, but I can say this because I was there and I said it. I introduced myself as I'm Boston Irish. Now that totally got it. I'm from a traditional Boston, you know, American Boston Irish upbringing, right. but I'm bisexual. And I've I've traveled and I have this wonderful, wonderful mix. Now I'm back in Boston again, and then I hear what you do. I, by the way, I heard your interview with Camara, and there's practically tears in my eyes. How this wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, what is it, Empress of San Francisco is also bringing a story back to a very horrible incident from within the Asian community. I just think it's wonderful. That type of expression is what Healing Stigma is all about. That is so awesome. I I want to get uh, deeper into the stigma of, uh, you know, uh, bisexuals face even within our own community, the LGBTQ community. But for now, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Kevin Hogan. Don't go away. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Kevin Hogan, who's an author, poet, and LGBTQ activist. Uh, he served on the board of directors of the Bisexual Resource Center and also has an incredible, cool uh, Huffington Post article out in which he interviewed a few bisexual and polyamorous identified uh, people. And um, so, Kevin, you know, right before the break, I wanted to, to dive into this, right? The bisexual community in our community, the LGBTQ community, face stigma um, and and face some, you know, negativity and some sometimes, in my opinion, oppression as well as um, isolation almost as if they're not even a part of the community. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, it's, a, it's, it's that other term that often comes up, erasure, you know, and I find it's interesting that, you know, there's, you can approach this from so many different ways. But again, uh, the article was really came up because it, it, hit, it hit a nerve with me that I knew, heard of, or could kind of sense that there was from many, many different people across many different sexual orientations, oftentimes a stigma about people who are poly. So it was interesting to me that from doing the program or, you know, other things that I've come across folks that are poly who've shared this with me, that are anything but what people, and even people who would be bisexual, but in a monogamous relationship, they would be anything but what they would think as a polyamorous person. So that's what I did. I went and interviewed these folks for this article. And, uh, you know, I mean, the bisexual issue is another thing. I, mean, I find that oftentimes people are, you know, telling these stories that are, you know, horrifying, in which, you know, um, it, it could be from the gay or lesbian community, it could be from, you know, the straight community, in which bisexuality is treated as a phase and you're just going to get over this and you're, you're either gay or you're not, and come on, make a decision and get on the team here. Um, when bisexuality is clearly, you know, not that, and a lot of people are beginning to realize that there's a huge group of people, especially male bisexuals, who may not be identified as such, but are, you know, experiencing this. And uh, again, I get that. I get that from many people, regardless of political affiliation, because, you know, I say this. This is one that I, I always say. It's not a Kinsey switch. It's a scale. Mm-hmm. And that goes across all parties. That goes across, you know, genders and everything. So that's what's so interesting. But coming back to the Huffington Post piece, it was just really interesting to talk to some of these folks um, that I just think were really insightful, honest, and totally you know, shared some, some really great insights that aren't what the general public would necessarily think, even the bisexual public. I, and I think that you know, more people coming out, especially young people who are coming out as bisexual, uh, are helping with the stigma. You know, and, and, and maybe Absolutely. you can talk about you know, just uh, more specifically of, of how you do it in terms of uh, being able to define your voice and 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 then break through and create you know much more safer place for you, especially in the internet. But like someone like Miley Cyrus, for example, but you know many many parents might say her behavior is is way too wild. But at the same time, her coming out as Polly uh, was was great for our community in a lot of ways. Oh, I mean, here's the thing: the parents are speaking. They're not, you know, as long as the parents are speaking, as long as kids are getting a chance to speak, as long as there's a conversation, that's better than a door being shut. That's better than a fist or, you know, something worse. So, first of all, conversations have to happen. You know, and that's one of the things that, again, for me, fortunately, having been to and seen in, in Washington sometimes now how things do and don't get done, let's say, um, you're going to have to have a conversation eventually with someone who might not understand where you're coming from. So, you know, first of all, I get it. Empathy has its limits. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and 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 it's and it happens so quickly across so many different communities. But first of all, I would say this: if you're at your wit's end, 
you're not alone. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you take a look at the, you know, from just it, it, it's terrible, but, you know, something like suicide rates, addiction, whatever it is for the bisexual community, they skyrocket. They absolutely mm-hmm. do. And so, you, first of all, you're not alone. There are resources out there. You can get help. You can have this conversation. Now, when it comes down to family, when it comes down to personal relationships, there's always this sense that it's always good to have someone on your side. It's always good to have someone who knows. I mean, in my situation, what happened to me when I was stigmatized, um, my wife was with me throughout all of that. I mean, there's a reason why the uh, news crew followed me 25 miles, 50 miles away from where I worked to get my wife and I walking out with our Thanksgiving turkey. There's a reason <laughs> they wanted to get that shot, you know. But she knew we, we were together. It was terrible financial times when I wasn't teaching, and I chose to do the work that I did under legal conditions, totally, you know, uh, how should I say, with, with the sense that trying to stay off the street and trying to keep from doing something illegal, we made choices that we are, you know, happy we made, and we're still together because of those honest, open choices. Now, that's not for everyone. Don't get me wrong. But that's the reason why I can now talk about these things is because I've managed to know who to, I would say, be totally open and honest with while finding myself. You know, this isn't for neither of us is it, you know, we just met and suddenly everything hit. Um, uh, my, my, my partner is uh, a woman who happens to be bisexual as well. And that's another article I wrote in the Huffington Post. And it's one of the most wonderful relationships you can have. But how we find each other, how we absolutely go through that is a very open and honest conversation, which I found as well in the poly relationships. These weren't people who just woke up one day and said, oh, I'm poly or oh, I'm bi. Um, these are some really interesting stories. So even if that is a sense of, you know, go to the Huffington Post, find the voice that resonates with you, do some clicking, take a look at it. Um, I, I know that the editors there and what people are writing about is really, you know, it, there's a whole bunch of different voices there, but find your voice, begin to find your community so you don't feel like you're alone. That's where stigma begins when you feel you're alone. And remember, stigma untreated can oftentimes result in suicide, tragically. So we're getting some uh, free advice right now. <laughs> hey, this is, listen, what you're doing, like I said, I'm a huge, huge fan. I know it might sound heavy on a Monday morning, but, I mean, to know that there's folks out there and some of these things are, you know, even on the, even on the uh, social media stuff that I, I, I try to faithfully keep up with, there are some people out there that are doing amazing things every day that are really uplifting to interrupt the, you know, what is expected of anything from a physical stigma to poverty to um, sexual orientation. It's wonderful. Absolutely. You know, and, and the Internet is good in that sense. It can, it can swipe the other way, but it can be used in good hands by educated folks, and that's not because of any particular um, uh, background. People are now getting educated quickly on the Internet. Well, you know, I want to bring that up, the other side. And the other side usually, yeah. um, you know, are these trolls, these Internet trolls uh, right. that, that right. Uh, you know, may, it may not even be their opinion or their views, but for some reason... Uh, they really do a good job getting under the skin of a lot of people who fall into that trap. What are your thoughts about Internet trolls and how, you know, laying into their trap could could hurt you? Well, I'm glad you asked that. And this isn't set up. Your your questions are brilliant. I feel like we've, I feel like we really set all these up, but we haven't. And I'm so I'm so glad what you're asking. But this is another article I wrote in the Huffington Post. Um, one of my very first articles. Um, I happened to just it was burning inside of me. Um, because I, after what happened to me, I, I basically had to disappear for a while. Um, I really did. I had to get my head together. I, I wrote a lot, um, which is another obvious way of you know, being able to get everything while it's fresh and experience it and figure out what this is. But when it, the thing that really was a tipping point for me when I uh, started writing regularly for the Huffington Post was after the, um, what was it, the um, Ashley Madison hack. Now, that sounds mm-hmm. like a weird situation. But when that happened, when I first I got some kind of news alert or something when I woke up in the morning early and I read about it, and I knew right away that it was going to have tragic consequences for some people that were going to get quite literally caught by the Internet in their community or family without anyone to depend upon. Now, I know that can be overreacting to many, but after what had happened to me, I was like, oh, my, you know, it was, it was just a shock. It really went through me quickly. And so when I started realizing that, you know, you're, how can I say it, there was a... Um, uh, there was a person before me that the same type of undercover news situation happened to, and tragically, he went up to New Hampshire and put a bullet through his head. And I'm in Boston. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm from the land of the Scarlet Letter. 
you know, but I'm also from the land of one of the first places to vote for, uh, you know, everything from, you know, you know, real human rights for everyone. You know what I'm saying? There's conversations here that go on all the time. Um, and, you know, here we are, you know, talking Democrats, Republicans, like, not to get political at all, but take a look. We got a huge, huge Democrat, vote, you know, Democrat voting state here. And at the same time, we've got a Republican governor and he's doing a whole lot along with a whole bunch of others to fight stigma. That's one of the reasons why I'm happy to be here right now. Thank you so much yeah, for that. Yeah. I mean, because I know yeah. that, you know, a lot of people, especially if you're, I don't want to say everyday uh, person, but, you know, you go on your social media and you share and you share and you share and then somebody comments and it, and it angers you. I actually think responding, you know, to people over and over and over um, leads you into this trap of, of uh, saying other things that they can take out of context. Well, it's too much probably for you. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to say is read the article because what I did went through the whole thing. I mean, I went all the way to the um, legal counsel of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Okay. My, my situation, what happened uh, was really interesting. And the one thing I would say, find your community, right. have patience, take a breath, figure out the difference in all of this. Don't let rage or anger speak first, but understand that there are a lot of good people out there that want to get trolls and others out of the conversation, and it's their job to, but they oftentimes are bombarded by a whole lot of that, and therefore it takes them time to get to a politely written letter. Take the time, but make sure it gets on the right desk, and don't stop asking until it gets corrected. So, and if you're confused, and you still can't, you know, write to me, or, you know, get, get someone uh, through, obviously, your show, and just, you know, we'll, I, I know there are answers. I know there's ways to do it. When people feel they're alone, especially on social media, getting gang up, ganged up on, again, the consequences can be tragic, especially for young people in the LGBTQ community. Kevin, we're winding down on time here, so I want to make sure that yeah. we get information about, uh, you know, what you do out there. And so what, what's next for you? I know that you do workshops. You've got events coming up. Well, uh, let's see. This is I, <laughs> you're getting a lot of firsts today, but I like you, dear. This is wonderful. <laughs> um, I am, yes, very excited to announce the workshops, and all of that, again, is through HealingStigma.com. Um, my first book is out from Antrim House. That's uh, a wonderful publisher who's the uh, Connecticut uh, Poet Laureate, and uh, that book is called My Riestrat. It sounds like a complicated word, but it's Gaelic. You'll learn it. It's not bad. If you click on my website, you can also find that just by, again, on Healing Stigma and finding about it. Um, but I think the last thing I would say is this. Um, I, I'm really excited to announce that I'm going to have a regular radio show as well. Oh, that's starting, awesome. Yeah, start, it's going to be Healing Stigma on Left of Straight Radio. Uh, Scott Fullerton is the regular host of Left of Straight Radio. He had interviewed me before, but I'm going to announce this now. It's the first time I'm so excited. Um, and that's going to be uh, coming out, let's see, Thursdays at uh, 5 p.m. in downloadable podcasts. And it's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash left of straight. That's so awesome. Congratulations yeah. on all of this you know, new development. We feel so lucky oh, wonderful. that you get it's to announce I'm it. So, I'm so thrilled to talk to you, and I'm such a fan of what you're doing that that's why I'm gushing with all this stuff. Uh, you're so I'm cool. Sure I've forgotten to thank a whole bunch of people, but the most <laughs> important one right now is you and Fuang for showing up on Monday morning, even after that exciting weekend. Right, right, right. So, Kevin, one last question for you, and uh, really not, not a question, but if you had some lasting words, some words of empowerment and motivation for the poly and bi community, uh, what would that be? The experience for me being stigmatized, my personal experience, is the most important lesson I've actually survived so far in my life. I was two decades long in front of um, uh, students teaching, you know, English poetry. So I, you know, that was a calling for me. I didn't do it for the money, um, and I miss it every day. But since this experience and since coming out, that lesson is my most important one. So sharing it is a very important part. Now, there's a lot of other voices out there, but if we keep sharing it and enter the conversation, as opposed to entering fights and arguments, I think we can have a really, really great world in the future with this, you know, especially with the young folks coming up using the internet wisely. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today, and good luck with everything that you're working on. Hey, until the next time, you keep doing your great work as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you want to get a hold of Kevin or would like to follow his work, head to HealingStigma.com. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about Uganda and the anti-gay climate in the country.
Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. It is Monday, February 1st. I can't believe it. It's already February in the year 2016. It seems like I was just wishing you a happy holidays. Our next guest is Nick Hadikwa Maluku, and uh, we are having a discussion about the anti-gay movement in Uganda. And you'll remember here on the show, if you've been tuning in since 2006, you'll know that we've even had uh, Parliament member um, David Bahatian, who was the original author of the Kill the Gays bill that existed in Uganda. Uh, the bill had actually passed, but uh, back in, in 2014, it was struck down because of uh, procedural reasons. And I believe it was because they did not have quorum, technically. Um, but he has promised to bring the bill back. And in a sense, uh, we haven't really discussed it. I, I think the last time we talked about Uganda was with the Honorable Nagai Nabila Sampala, who's also a member of parliament and who kind of went into discussion of the um, environment, the political environment, and how Scott Lively, the anti-gay Christian pastor from here in the United States, has been working very, very hard to maintain the anti-gay movement in Uganda. So let's welcome Nick to the program. Nick, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so, th you know, I'm very, very happy and very glad that you're here with us to discuss Uganda. Like I said, we, we have not picked up from the fact that that uh, anti-gay bill, which, uh, you know, would persecute LGBTQ people up to life in jail, um, had in fact been struck down. But what are the most recent, what's the most recent news regarding this bill? Well, um, in, uh, in the final paragraph of the Vice article, which I wrote, Looking at the bill, it seems Bahati's um, member of parliament, David Bahati, is going to submit another bill, an edited version, and to put that back on the table again for discussion. So the momentum, the momentum constantly is there for the persecution because the climate has been created for that. But uh, just he just wants to reintroduce the bill yet again so that it can uh, it can pass. He wants it to repass. So. Uh, that's what that's what he promised um, to um, uh, the people from Vice who went to visit there in Uganda. So that's that's the, the and since then they did some follow up, but they haven't heard back from him. But he seems to be promising that he will uh, um, introduce the bill again. Why why such a strong focus on the LGBTQ community when there are so many other issues that Uganda could be focusing on? Um, you know, I mentioned Scott Lively, who's part of, I believe, a, a group of of anti-gay 
you know, Christian pastors and activists uh, from the United States who are, who, are, who are very focused on Uganda. Wh- why do you think? Well, that's an excellent question. And, and if we look historically at what was going on at the, on the ground level in the 1990s and the 80s, it even becomes a really, really great question because Uganda was one of the few countries in East Africa, in fact, one can say one of the only countries in East Africa that had such a strong HIV-AIDS campaign going when Yoweri Museveni was, um, was you know, recently elected in power by, at that time in the 90s. And so there was awareness, and they were one of the few countries that said, no, this is linked to sexual practices, and that we have to develop a campaign that sort of streamlines the sexual practices of the Ugandan, i.e. the African male, which in a patriarchal society, that's a big deal to Mm -hmm. say that at the government level, and especially if the president is male. So it's an interesting thing, but I feel like that is the foreground that created this kind of climate, that there was a campaign of sexual awareness, that HIV-AIDS was linked to sexual practice, that the African male was put on the table to change, you know, use condoms as opposed to, you know, candy without the wrapper, kind of. That was the sort of lingo that was going around. So we fast forward to 2009, the conference, with Dr. Scott Lightley, and I feel like the ground was already set in some way in the 90s, Mm-hmm. for this to carry currency. But to get back to your question, which is the scapegoating issue, I think that this is not, like, not unprecedented historically. People have always used certain communities to sort of deflect from what is going on. And to be completely, totally honest, it is a way to gain attention from the Western powers because uh, it is linked, people are linking it to aid, and I mean aid as in financial aid or foreign aid, and, you know, cutting ties, recreating ties, continuing a dialogue, criticizing the colonial power. The, the important thing also to note is that throughout Africa, from as we say, from the Cape to Cairo, the legislation of desire is something that is not innately African. It's something that the colonial powers introduced. So it's constantly going to be linked. Because I think there is the African perception of it's impossible to legislate desire. We don't have, you know, a table of contents for diets. You know, so you change carbohydrates, do this, that. That's, that doesn't really occur in our mm-hmm. culture. Um, similarly, which is, you know, appetite is a form of desire, is, is the association. And similarly, I think sexual practice isn't legislated in that way. So for the government to introduce what is seen, I think, at a cultural level as impossible is, I mean, the, the government exercising an impossible power. You don't, you can't monitor a citizen. So what happens is there's this, frenzy, this sort of paranoia climate that's created in order to scapegoat from real issues, drinking water, education, um, food, mm-hmm. um, uh, tribalism, the things that, you know, that really do occur, money, un- unemployment, employment, health care, um, universal health care, these sort of things which are very important, hospitals, um, why should a woman walk four or five miles in order to, to deliver a baby, these, these sort of issues are important issues. And so I think right. this um, Kill the Gays bill sort of deflects from that. But this is, I mean, I, I want to stress the fact that because this seems to be a tendency in the one-story narrative that tends to collapse all of Africa together, that this is not unique historically. It's happened in the West, in Germany, of course, right. uh, prior to World War II and stuff like that. So it's not an innately African thing, but it is an innately political thing. It's an innately government thing. And um, I think what centers around it which is coming from the Western powers, is this desire to legislate desire, is this power, this exercise of power, which I think is absolutely impossible, and I think which, which is at the heart of what we should try, or at least on my end, uh, try to, um, to question, you know. And that absolutely. goes in even to the Marriage Equality Act, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it, to me it is not a triumph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. that's just a personal opinion. Right. Yeah. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Nick Hadikwa Maluko, who has an article out titled The Anti-Gay Movement in Uganda is Still Alive and Kicking. And, and, and I'm so glad, Nick, that you, you brought this to our attention. We're still talking about it because um, I, I would hate for it to fall by the wayside and for us to not continue the discussion, considering that what you mentioned earlier, there's this chaos um, that has that has yeah, that's ongoing, and you've got you know Ugandans, some Ugandans who are trying to you know even flee the country. You've got hysteria, you know people 
trying to look for uh, homosexual tendencies and the people, um, you know, and I, I don't, you can talk more about this. You might know more about this, but maybe it, it has been exaggerated. But there have been reports of violence from everyday people, you know, who are um, outing folks uh, in, in the country. That's continuing to happen, right? Yeah, it's continuing to happen. And even people who are heterosexual um, and not married, they're afraid because they're like, well, I could be then outed as a, a why aren't I married at the quote-unquote appropriate age? And then they're outed, and so they move from place to place. There's the underground movement of people leaving and going to other countries and trying to settle there, trying to create a life there. And then there is also, to me, the complication of the fact that if this group is being, or if we are being moved underground, the problem then becomes, well, how do you then, how do you spot somebody who is gay and how do you out them? Because there's nobody there to actually point to. And there is no one way of being gay. And there also is the, I, in the bill, there is clearly, clearly, if you look at the description of the bill, there's no actual understanding of the community that they're legislating against. Because if you take some folks who... I suppose, identify as transgender, but practice, they say that they're heterosexual or heteronormative in their sexual practices, then that complicates what the homosexuality bill is, too, because gender-wise, they consider themselves, they consider themselves and want to be considered male and female in an anatomical sense, because, you know, I was assigned this at birth, but this is not who I am. Mm -hmm. And so then, how then are they homosexual? Are they homosexual by default? Are they homosexual as in they're not real? men and real men, women. I mean, there's so many complications that you can just tell from the bill, the way in which it's described, the way in which it describes the quote-unquote community that they're after and persecuting, that they have absolutely no awareness of who this community is. Right. And that brings in a huge problem, you know? The awareness, yeah, so that's a that's a great point in terms of the awareness. Um, but I do know that Uganda had celebrated its first pride no matter what and stood up to the potential violence that the community faced. I mean, that that's something that is extraordinary considering the, yes. uh, the, the climate, don't you think? I think that's that's the thing. The resilience of the community is extraordinary. And that's really, to me, this, the triumph of it all, that they're saying, listen, we have a right to exist. And I think after the murder of David Kato, the prominent gay activist leader, um, and member and um, leader of smug sexual minorities Uganda, that something, and not that something happened at the ground level with the activism and the people, but definitely there is this huge and huge pushback. And there also is a huge pushback by the medical community who is saying that the HIV um, AIDS population is now terrified, whether or not they're homosexual, heterosexual, transgendered, or however they identify, that, they, that there are workshops and health-related health conferences that are going on in Uganda because it's, it's a necessity to save lives, and they're like, I'll be damned. And if members of parliament come in and shut them down, they open up elsewhere. No, there's a resilience that, you know, every African or every human being should be proud of because it's, you know, they, they are re asserting and reasserting, more importantly, their right to exist. And that's, that's the beauty of this, in my opinion, you know, mm -hmm. um, that they're not going to allow some bill, um, some act to define who they are. Right, right. Um, stay with us, Nick. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion about the anti-gay movement in Uganda. Don't go away. listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, 
from James Hornell to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this first day of February, and it is the first day of the week, Monday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest today is Nick Hadikwa Maluko, who has a, uh, an article out on Vice.com titled, The Anti-Gay Movement in Uganda is Still Alive and Kicking. Nick, um, I wanted to you know continue this discussion about the possibility of the anti-gay or, the, or Uganda's Anti-Homosexuality Act actually... Um, what is what is its potential in 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 being res- resurrected? I and mean, we know that you know it was struck down in 2014 because they technically did not have quorum, uh, something like that. But but what do you think? Do you think that the members of parliament will be prepared if it does come up for a vote again? Yeah, I think they will be prepared, and um, even if it is struck down again, the the, the the issue for me is that there seems to be this climate that potentially could create a genocide, which is that you're targeting a group of people specifically for something and that you're looking and looking and looking and constantly looking in order to scapegoat. And that, that to me, is where the issue is. The climate and the atmosphere is already there, and there are people who are reacting clearly to it and have to live in secrecy, silence, erasure, which is really living in a form of death. And and that that is a, is a is a huge you know that that's a problem because it could happen, and it is happening already on mass. And so it's almost like it's there is a there's terrain and atmosphere preparing for a genocide already. And and historically we've seen that with almost all genocides that have taken place, intervention, particularly on the part of the international community, if that's really what's wanted, is um, comes quite late in the game because it's difficult to define what genocide is mm-hmm. when it's taking place at the ground level. So I'm just, uh, you know, we're very appreciative of um, platforms such as this to create and raise awareness because it means that then people can keep an eye out um on the LGBTQIA community in, in Uganda, and let's let's discuss that. I mean, you know, when the first uh, the first initial bill went through its round and it passed, there was public outcry, and uh, you know, people from even President Obama, de- you know, de- decried the yeah. the the bill itself, and so. I would think that someone like a Scott Lively and these Western American fundamentalists who are going over to Uganda to preach anti-gay um, sentiments, you know, would should know that they will have blood on their hands if a bill like this is actually passed. How do we how do we confront these people? And I know that that's a really big question. In my opinion, I think Ugandan politicians should not allow for these American Western fundamentalists to be able to penetrate the country in these false, in my opinion, false, um, you know, teachings. Yes. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the, the, um, to, to me, this whole idea of um, a way in which to be gay, a way in which to be transgendered, a way in which, not that sexuality and gender are one and the same, but a way in which to be a particular kind of thing, African or black or white or or, you know, and what a way in which to be, to me, it's a particularly Western gaze, a particularly Western, so there, there's that. And there, but there is that, there, the outcry is necessary. 
But then again, there is the issue of sovereignty. I mean, this is an independent country. It's a nation. They have their own laws, their own rule of law, their own ways, their own... So there is that. I mean, there's, to a certain extent, there's only so much that can be done um, until, I suppose, there's a barometer for helplessness that there has to be intervention. Um, and so there, there's, there's always that issue. You know, with any country that's, um, you know, from South Africa to mm-hmm. Germany in, in, you know, in 1939, there's always that issue. You know, to what extent can we go in um, on an ethical, moral basis and intervene? So, but I, I think just keeping an eye out, keeping the dialogue going, and remembering that there's a resilient population of activists and just people, ordinary people on the ground who are saying no and who understand the secrets of the country and how to maneuver and how to how to move within it and what's going to happen next because, you know, there's a hypervigilance that comes with the trauma of being harassed because you're LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, we all have it. You know, I have it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, like I'm a black man now, perceived as one or read as one, so I've got to move this way in front of the police, this way in front of a white man, this way in front of a white woman, this way in front of an older white woman. We have that in our, you know, in our radar, in our hearts, unfortunately, or right. fortunately. Right. So, I mean, there, there's that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, but I, I do think that the, the a way of being, um, yeah. I mean, there is, there's, there's definitely that issue that how, how can one exist and be both a proud African and a member of the LGBTQIA community, which before wasn't mutually exclusive. I think the difference is, um, uh, you know, not to be, I, I don't want to belabor the fine points, but I do think that this is a, an important difference, and I've written about it when I wrote for Huffington Post about the the murder of, of David Castro, the prominent activist and member of sexual minorities, leader, sorry, of sexual minorities in Uganda, that um, the lifestyle seems to be the thing that's at issue, that in heterosexuality there's the perpetuation of the African, you know, the tribe, and, and of course, therefore, the nationality of the country. So when you have a gay lifestyle, when you have a lesbian lifestyle, when you have a, that the, the, then the problem becomes, I think, from the African point of view, well, how are you going to have children? How are you going to perpetuate the tribe? How are you going to create a family? How are you going to keep the country going? How are you going to keep the population? So that's an important thing. People, my parents did not marry because they fell in love. They married because they were, Everything was in the you know in the mix, and it's not it's not unique. It's just a way of mm-hmm. so you know, and they need you create children, and particularly sons, so that the name can go on and all this other stuff that's important to the right. culture. So with the lifestyle, which is you know essentially seen, and I don't know that this is true, but this is essentially seen as a Western thing. And the way to circumvent the children issue, which is adoption, which most African countries don't do outside of their family. They don't, they, like, if my sister were to, were to pass and she has children, I would then adopt the children as the next in line and raise them. But I couldn't bring in a street child off the streets and adopt mm-hmm. because that's mixing blood and you don't know what the intention of that blood is. And it goes on and on and on. So there's, I think it's the lifestyle that's under attack. And because of being unable to perpetuate the tribe and the people sure. and you know and therefore the population and um so if there is a way to create a language and to create an agreement that these things will not be in jeopardy if we open up our eyes and we you know and we try to create a kind of um, because mm-hmm. we are existing mutually the problem is that there's a tension mm-hmm. i mean we're not going away we've always been there we're always going to be here and so there's no way. So how do we how do we then sit at the table with our elders and try and create a happy medium? That's an important thing, uh, where we we both can coexist and be visible. Because thank I you know I don't want to coexist yeah. and be invisible yeah. in secret. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for that, and thank you for for giving us the cultural perspective. I think that that is really really important. Uh, one last question for you before we let you go. I know that uh, in your article you mentioned an HBO show. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, well, Isabel Young went to uh, Uganda in a year and was uh, there and settled on the ground. And a year later, then created this the, this HBO special of which the article is sort of an, a, a companion piece. And um, 
So that is going to air, and if you check out the article, it definitely has, I'm terrible with dates, it has the date and the time that the HBO special will air, and uh, it looks at personal narrative, and it, it takes you through Isabel's eyes, which are very neutral eyes, and um, how, how what it is like at the ground level, and also just there are people who have are have been impacted in their personal lives by the bill, uh, some of whom come out and uh, you see their 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 faces, and most of whom do not. Um, but you also get a sense of how beautiful Uganda is, and how beautiful Ugandans are, and how beautiful the children are, and how beautiful you know how beautiful East Africa is. So there's there's a lot. It's it, it, I think the HBO special highlights the perversions that is, that, that is life, which is that beauty can coexist with something very, very ugly, and from that a resilience can arise that speaks to the, you know, the conditions and conflicts of the human heart. So yeah. hopefully you'll tune into that. Yes, we sure will. It's February 5th at 11 o'clock uh, p.m. at night, and, and I'm sure of it that it, that's probably Eastern Standard Time. Nick, thank you so much for joining us here today and for giving us the update on the anti-gay movement in Uganda. Thank you for having me. For those of you who would like to check out Nick's article, you can head to vice.com. And the title of the article is The Anti-Gay Movement in Uganda is Still Alive and Kicking. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Monday, February 1st. I'm so happy to be back and so happy to have uh, completed an entire show for you. And I know Fong feels really good about that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the situation in Uganda is, is very serious in that, you know, if successful, I'm sure of it that the Western fundamentalist Christians will duplicate their efforts into other um, countries that, you know, are, under, are, are going through oppression or have um, vulnerable uh, groups in them. And I think that that is such the worst strategy ever. You know, Fong, when I spoke to the Honorable Nagai Nabila Sampala, who's a member of parliament, not sure if she still is a member of parliament, I mean, in these meetings in which they discuss the anti-homosexuality bill, the focus is on anal sex. No way. Yes way. Hmm. And isn't that crazy that, you know, you've put your trust in the hands of individuals who are supposed to make decisions that impact not just your life but generations to come, that when it comes to sexuality, mm-hmm. their biggest, 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 uh, I guess, ab- upset or, or disbelief with the LGBTQ community is, is, uh, is anal sex. That's interesting. I Well, maybe, you know, like Nick speak, uh, spoke about the, the difference in the culture and the, um, you know, how... There's just many different things that people are thinking about or talking about. And maybe to them, since it might be something that is new or something that is so um, not on the spotlight or have not been exposed to them, maybe that's that's the only or one thing that they, they have in mind. Right. And that's what I'm saying is when you have vulnerable people and, uh, you know, who probably in their own words, in their own terms, have, have already identified LGBTQI people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get, you know, the uh, the Santa Claus looking white guy from America who's like, you know, this is wrong. God's going to punish you mm-hmm. and and spend millions of dollars in a country like Uganda on anti-gay preachings. Um, you know, what do you think you're going to get? You know, and and it's like a shame on on leaders, anti-gay leaders like Scott Lively. You you have blood on your hands and you you're not understanding. You're not seeing it that way. And and if you are, mm-hmm. I think that it's even more scary that someone like that would can go to bed at night knowing that uh, people are dying, um, you know, just because of this, the, these anti-gay sentiments. But. Anyway, that is the show. If you'd like to chime in or add on to it, head to michellemeow.com. Let us know. I'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for tuning in to the Michelle Meow Show right here on the Progressive Voices Network.